0: to Private Club Radio, your weekly source for industry education, news, and discussion. Broadcasting from Tampa, Florida, ladies and gentlemen, here is your host, Gabriel Aloisi.
1: You asked and I listened. Today on Private Club Radio, we'll be covering food and beverage trends, a topic that was voted on unanimously in our Private Club Radio listeners poll over at privateclubradio.com slash vote so if you voted in that thank you very much i went out and i searched for some of the creme de la creme in the private club world of food and beverage experts and we're going to do a couple of these two or three of these in the coming month or two here on Private Club Radio. Today, we're going to be chatting with the CMAA Idea Fair winner, James Reisig of the Union Club of the City of New York. He's the director of dining, so very excited for that. But before we bring James on, we'll be chatting with Peter Nanula and some staff from McGregor Downs Golf and Country Club. That's a pretty exciting episode of Board Chats coming up in just a few minutes here. So I'm so excited to announce that today is the day. If you pre-ordered your copy of the Definitive Guide to Membership Marketing, UPS is dropping them off in my office this morning, and I cannot wait to see them. They were delayed, as you may or may not know. The books were delayed up in Pennsylvania because of the winter storm up there, and so I was so bummed they were supposed to be here on Thursday for me to sign and then send out to folks, and we had to wait through the weekend here to Monday. But I'm really excited to get this book in the hands of general managers, membership directors, and membership committee members. If you want to pick up your copy, it's too late to get the pre-order and all the goodies. But what you can do is go to membershipmarketingbook.com and get a copy. On March 31st is the official release of the book, and I will sign over a copy and get it up to you. If you are outside of the United States, you'll be able to order the book on Amazon, In your country most likely or whatever the major bookstore is in your country so if you're in the uk waterstones is one i know for sure it'll be in just check out those bookstores on april 1st the day after the launch date and they will be available otherwise membershipmarketingbook.com
0: and now it's time for board chats presented by concert golf partners a behind the scenes look inside real boardrooms with special guest peter nanula Welcome to another edition of
1: Board Chats, presented by Concert Golf Partners, where each month on this segment, we discuss real issues facing real private clubs across the country. We're joined, as always, by Peter Nanula, chairman and CEO of Concert Golf Partners. Peter, how are you today?
2: Doing great, Gabe. How are you today?
1: I'm doing well. It's a beautiful day in Florida. I might go to one of your clubs, Carolwood Country Club, and play a little golf after this interview, to be honest. (laughs) Nice. We'd love to have you out there. But Peter, we're talking with McGregor Downs today. Uh, We'll be speaking with Russ Curtis, the general manager, as well as Cricket Russell, who is the membership director. Peter, what about McGregor Downs did
2: you really love when you saw this property? It's a great club, Gabe. You know, Raleigh, North Carolina is sort of a growing area, and the Cary Suburb, where McGregor Downs is, is a terrific demographic area. McGregor Downs has a fantastic golf course. They've hosted a bunch of USGA qualifiers and events, um, and it has a great membership, very loyal, uh, supportive membership. And we always look for clubs like that where – the challenges they face are things we can help with. They had some capital challenges and so we can help with that.
1: Beautiful. Well, Russ, I want to bring you on the show here as well. We're speaking with Russ Curtis, the general manager, Russ, I'd like to get your perspective on what it was like before and after having a partner like concert come in.
3: Well, good question, Gabe. I think uh, we've had a very, uh, good transition. I, I arrived here in fall of 2011 when the club was member-owned and uh, it it had a, a number of challenges. Peter mentioned a couple of them with capital. There was a, a series of assessments and that was inhibiting our ability to grow the membership as well as to reinvest in the club. So um, there was a, a quite a process of going uh, through a strategic planning process and trying to understand what the needs of the club going forward. Uh, some of the things that we wanted to try to do at that time were to have a, a brighter future and a more solid future. And there were some other issues that were at play with that in addition to the debt and the uh, assessments. Mm-hmm. We had uh, a history of about $110,000, $113,000 a year that we reinvested for a decade, except for the years where we had assessments. So that was pinching uh, the ability to do the right things. And every year, we also had a a challenge with our structure. Um, Like many clubs, there was an annual board election, and we rotated about a third of the board every year. And we also changed over our committees every year uh, in most cases. So uh, that led to sometimes a lack of progressive thinking. Um, the, The effective governance time was really only a few months of the year because the rest of the time we were involved in nominations and elections. So when we got to the point of developing the strategic planning process, we studied uh, what the club would look like in the next 20 years, and it became pretty apparent that there were more needs that the club had than we could afford to accomplish in any sort of reasonable period of time. For example, we found that in order to redo the greens, which were not in good condition, it would have taken about seven years with a conservative set of revenue assumptions, and that was too long. Yep. So we looked at other opportunities, and with that uh, emerged concert. And after all the meetings and discussion points, um, we were very pleased that this uh, this worked out, and it's been a very good transition since. And uh, members do not have anxiety. We've um, satisfied the capital needs. Uh, the debt is taken care of. No risk of any assessments, and it's been a very good transition.
1: What's it like being a general manager? How has your job role changed with having Concert come into the course?
3: Well, my responsibilities have changed pretty dramatically. We had, uh, in the member-owned club, we we had an elected board and 14 committees, so I was quite involved in those meetings and discussions. Um, Now, we have the support of Concert, but we have one advisory board, and they meet on a quarterly basis, and their responsibilities are quite different from what the elected board was. Uh, We have representatives in the club that use the club for different purposes, and we invited them to serve on this group. Um, But now, the principal communications uh, vehicle is myself along with the senior staff, and we share that in advance with the advisory board, but I send a communication every couple of weeks to the members. And uh, from a day-to-day decision-making process, it's much more nimble than it was uh, several years ago.
1: Yeah, I bet. So what was the impetus to actually go with Concert when you had a few other options out there? What about them stood out for you, Russ?
3: Well, there were, there were a number of things, but I think um, one of the things that really hit home with the membership and was quite significant was Concert wanted to take care of the club's heritage. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the other parties that were looking at the opportunity were not necessarily looking at uh the brand of the club they were looking at their brand mm-hmm. concert looks at the brand of the club um and i think that's manifested itself well as we've gone forward a couple of quick examples uh, one just happened last week we held a, an event for members who have had multiple generations in the club and um, incidentally the club is celebrating its 50th anniversary this year
1: congratulations
3: um, well thank you so we we invited members that have had either children or siblings or relatives that have joined the club and after we explored this a little bit we found there were over 50 memberships like that within the within the entire membership and so we held a reception for them and we had over 30 that attended 30 different families and we heard from many of them how much they were touched by that nice Uh, so that was a very positive event and another thing that we did after we did some coursework um, last year we uh, had some changes in some of the t's T locations. So we have a set of T's that we looked at renaming and we wanted to honor the pool family who Mr. Gregory pool senior was the founder of the club. So we called one of the T's in in honor of Mr. Pool. And we asked his son who's uh, 81 years old, if we could do that. And he was quite touched by that. And so the members have embraced that.
1: Wow. I love that. That's a great story. I I didn't even know that a concert came in and did that kind of stuff. That's new to me to hear that. So, at this point, I want to bring on Cricket Cricket Russell is the membership director. Cricket, I'd love to get your opinion and your perspective on, you know, being a staff member at a club that's going through this kind of turnover where it's going from member owned and equity owned to being owned by a outside capital partner. What was that like for you, Cricket?
4: Well, I've actually been in the industry for over 20 years and had the opportunity to work for both member owned and corporately owned clubs, high end clubs. And compared to concert, I find it it's, it's a breath of fresh air. It's like being able to make decisions on behalf of the club that that make sense and implement those decisions. And it's just a lot more streamlined process. Um, it's easier for the members because I know that in our sales cycle we're selling to younger younger members now and some millennials, which they're not you know ready to have a three month you know, interview process. They want, you know, they, they're more instantly gratified. So mm-hmm. being able to do that and change some of the processes here has been really, really helpful.
1: Yeah. It sounds like it's made your job a little bit easier. And what other ways do you think that having that support's been helpful for you in, in order to sell memberships at the club?
4: Well, I mean, when I first got here, there were some misnomers about the club and we really needed to get out there and change some perspectives some some people's you know perspectives of it and one of the things was a that they're going to be assessed all the time and that it was an older type of membership and actually we have actually dropped our membership age quite significantly in the last eight years from 62 to 52 and so we're attracting younger members um and just getting out there letting people know that you know the whole trend Transition to concert has been such a positive one and that they're continuing to reinvest in the club. They're not just here to say that we own it. You know, they're very um, active as far as coming out and saying, okay, what's the next capital improvement that we need to do? Or, you know, we just added a 4,000 square foot playground to our property because of all of the younger families and peter and his team to allow us as directors and managers of the club to really guide those decisions to what really needs and to give back to our members
1: good employees and good staff they need to feel empowered in order to do their job properly so that's that's excellent to hear yeah
4: Yeah. and i've also noticed it with members because happy members refer members That's right. so we've created ambassadors club where we award i have two uh Trips that I give away, one to the um, masters and one to another concert properly, property for everybody that just nominates somebody gets a chance to win. So it's something that's tangible that they get back. It's like, oh, well, I want to have a chance to win those. So and the more happy, the more, you know, they want to refer.
1: Yeah, I bet. That's right. Well, Russ, I have one parting question here for you before we wrap up this segment. If the, you could give one piece of advice to another general manager or even a board member out there who is considering uh bringing on a capital partner, what would your advice be for them?
3: Very good question. I think there are a, a couple of points. Uh, number one, be factual and be objective. I think initially there will be resistance, but I think the boards and management team uh going through this need to expect that and move forward with some courage because the end result can really vault a club towards success. Um, the other thing I would say is if capital or debt or decision-making processes are holding you back, there is another way that is highly effective. And we found that with concert has been a, a, a very good transition. The members were happy. We just had a member survey, um, where we polled the members and from a macro level, um, We had 98, over 98% that were either very satisfied or mostly satisfied. Certainly, we want to continue to work on improvements, and we we are doing so, but we're encouraged by those initial results. And uh, we were continuing down that process with our programming and trying to get the members continually more engaged.
2: Russ, having been at a member-owned club for a long time and then making this transition in the last couple of years with us at Concert Golf, one of the biggest fears I hear is job security. If you're a general manager, membership director like cricket, superintendent, head professional, mostly what I hear from board members and staff is what's gonna happen to our staff? And you know, our experience has been, you know, a lot of continuity at our clubs, but I just wondered from your perspective, prior to us doing this, you know, what was the before and after on the whole issue of job security for staff?
3: Good question, Peter, and that's an important point as you go through this process. I think initially there was some uncertainty. I think once that the expectations were clear, most made a very good transition. Uh, I think one thing that's been available with concert that was not available before is there's opportunities for growth not just within our club, but also with other properties. And we've had several examples here in the last year of people have done just that. Um, we had a gentleman who started as our food and beverage manager who I was Fortunate to bring here. And he's grown on. He's now vice president in charge of vice, uh, food and beverage for Consular Golf. We promoted our executive chef, who's also now helping in a regional role. And we've had some internal promotions. Our assistant superintendent uh, had the opportunity to step up and has done a terrific job uh, on the maintenance of our golf course. So I think uh, our staff has adapt- adapted very well to it. Um, they've done well in terms of member satisfaction. They're achieving their financial objectives as well.
1: Excellent, guys. Thank you so much for joining me on this episode of Board Chats presented by Concert Golf Partners. So lovely to
0: have you. I hope you
1: have a great rest of your day.
3: Thank
0: you. Join us next month for another edition of Board Chats presented by Concert Golf Partners. My guest today
1: is James Reisig. James is currently the director of dining for the Union Club of the City of New York while simultaneously serving as the chairperson for the CMAA Young Professional Committee. Prior to joining the Union Club, James has served in the capacity of Director of Operations and General Manager with the Patina Restaurant Group, managing two iconic New York City restaurants, The Brasserie and The Brasserie Eight and a Half, and as Food and Beverage Director for the Williams Club of New York. James holds a degree in hospitality and food service management from the Johnson and Wales University and was the 2016 recipient of the Club Foundation's Wilmore H. Kendall Scholarship and winner of the 2017 CMAA Idea Fair Showstopper Award. James, welcome to Private Club Radio.
5: Thanks, Gabe. I appreciate you having me.
1: Yeah, I'm so excited to talk to you today about food and beverage trends that are happening in the private club industry. So first off, let's talk about millennials. There's a big impact of millennials on dining trends. Tell me a little bit about that, James.
5: For sure. I think we've all noticed that millennials have kind of been a hot topic recently uh, in club in general, and that's no exception for food and beverage trends. Uh, They've had a great impact on how we're serving our membership and things that are coming about uh, with changes and trends in the industry, especially in food and beverage so much so that we've kind of changed what dining is in clubs from something of just serving meals at a high quality level to our membership to almost making it a relate dining related experience mm-hmm. the millennial generation in general is much more um requesting of experiences and once in a lifetime opportunities and things that can't be easily recreated and that's why you know it's definitely impacting the clubs because we have to change our dining outlets to meet these uh ever changing needs from the membership
1: yeah. So what type of experiences are you guys doing there over at the Union Club?
5: So yes, at the Union Club, we've created this great new program to kind of deal with all the competition we get from restaurants in New York City and other high-end hotels and things like that. We have started a club within a club, which is called our Chef's Club. Basically, within 72 hours advance notice, members can come to the club and create a once-in-a-lifetime experience where they can choose everything from the menu, the table settings, wine pairings, custom drink pairings, anything they want to have an overall experience that matches everything that they're looking for may not be able to get anywhere outside of perhaps their home. So what we do is we can customize every aspect from course-by-course selection of specific ingredients or dishes. We can go out and source things that may not be on the regular menus. And we can also even incorporate any recipes that they may have from a family member or friend and try to recreate them for them here at the club. We even go so far as to make a customized printed menu for them and their guests to take home as a keepsake. Wow. I,
1: I could just imagine. I-, I would love, for instance, to to just taste my mother's meatballs one more time. She passed away when I was 13, and I'd love to just try them and remember what it was like. So you're saying that I could give you the recipe and your chefs would actually make that for me.
5: Absolutely. We do get that request quite often, not always for meatballs, obviously, but we do have some members that are located all throughout the world. We have members that are in Asia that may come to us only once or twice a year and want a specific dish recreated, or even India. As long as we can access the ingredients, which is why we generally ask for 72 hours advance notice, we'll be happy to recreate any recipe that you have, and we'll make sure that we're making it the way you re- you remember it. And That's what we want the members to be able to feel at home here. I think that truly adds to their ability to do so if we can recreate something that truly means home to them or something. something. Something that is fond in their past.
1: Yeah, it's got to. It's got to. That that's so authentic, and I love that concept. So very cool. Uh, Tell us a little bit about some of the farm to table things you're doing there at Union Club.
5: Certainly. So we have some different things that we do here. Unfortunately, we are located in the middle of New York City, so we don't have a lot of extra landscape or or um, areas to be able to create our own farms or anything like that. So we've kind of looked to pair with different organizations, whether in the city or out to kind of have a positive environmental impact and footprint moving forward for the club. So one of the things we've done here is to work with DeBraga and Spiller, who provides all of our uh, meat products as well as, you know, any game products and things of that nature, who ensures that the farms that they're sourcing in the local area, anywhere from Pennsylvania up to northern New York, are using sustainable products that are uh, both environmentally sound, as well as a good source of protein and nutrition for our membership. So, you know, they're using the proper grain mixes. They're making sure that there's no hormones added and things like that. So we can pass on those benefits to our members. You're also
1: working with the Billion Oyster Project. Can you tell me about that one?
5: Certainly. So the Billion Oyster Project is something that we started working with about a year ago now. They're an ecosystem restoration and education project aimed at restoring a billion live oysters to New York Harbor while also engaging students in their STEM education programs. So it's an opportunity for us to kind of work with a local organization to make our environment better while also enabling some of the students to get some real life experience dealing with oyster farming and, and the marine biology ecosystem. So we participate by purchasing the fresh local oysters. We serve those oysters to our members and then recycle the shells, which are then cured on site, uh, as well as with Billion Oyster Project, and then those shells then grow into oysters throughout their entire life cycle, with finally the oysters being planted in reef restoration sites, where they'll continue to reproduce, clean the water, and restore the harbor for future generations. So it's something we're definitely interested in. We've been working a lot with them. So far, we've recycled over 750 pounds of shell, and we've helped to restore the 20 millionth oyster to New York Harbor.
1: That's very cool. So... You're you're giving back directly from the club back to the community, and I think that is is something that's pretty pretty impressive to see. I know my un- my own uncle, if he was at your restaurant, he could put down some oysters. So you probably have a couple buckets full to bring to uh, the charity there. That's pre- that's super cool. Yes, yeah, so our
5: members are more than willing to participate and help eat the oysters so we can save yeah. the shells.
1: Yeah, I like that. You ever watch the Seinfeld episode where? Uh, Newman and Kramer are drinking sodas so they can recycle the bottles that's that, that that's Yes.
5: What it reminds me of. <laughs> Correct. Correct. It's a little bit different with the oyster shells but on the same thought.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um the other thing I wanted to ask you about is you guys have gotten a new certification it's called sous vide there at the Union Club. Can you tell me about that style of cooking and what it's like to go through that certification process with the city?
5: Sure. So to effectively address, you know, the health conscious membership now we started using sous vide as a cooking method uh, for producing a lot of our banquet events as well as our regular dining, both a la carte um, and anything a la minute. So what we've been doing is sous vide basically is a French term meaning under pressure, under vacuum, and it's something that's been around for decades. However, this, the food style has become very prevalent, especially with letting celebrity chefs lately incorporating it at their restaurants. So we take our food, uh, portion it out, whether it be beef, chicken, veal, things of those nature, fish. We seal it in a plastic pouch and drop it into a hot temperature-controlled water bath with circulators to cook over an extended period of time, anywhere from 1 to 48 or even 72 hours, depending on the item. Uh, The longer the cook time under lower temperature allows for even distribution of heat while retaining the natural juices and flavoring, so we don't need to add any extra salts or fats to flavor at the end. It enhances the flavor and the tenderness and the texture of the food very well for us. It also allows us to portion control, to control labor costs as we can produce far in advance for any needs that we may have, whether it's on a large-scale banquet or other things. So we had our whole culinary team in 2009 when we underwent a kitchen reservation. We had them all come in and train in this with the founder of Sous Vide, Bruno Gasol. And they all became certified through the health department as well as Serve Safe. So we now use this as our primary way of cooking all of our different items on the menu. So we're health conscious but also effective in maximizing the space we have in the kitchen as well as the output of our staff for any range of events for anywhere from five to 500 people.
1: What are the types of things that you can cook with that particular style that just makes it delicious and better than, you know, frying it or boiling it or anything else you could do?
5: Right. So you you can basically do anything. Uh, We've done things as far as soft poached eggs. We've done things, even with fruits, we do a compressed fruit plate where all the juices will stay in the fruit. The water bath is at a very low temperature, so it's not very hot, and it just keeps the fruits' juices sealed into it, so it almost looks like a fake fruit plate when we send it out because the colors are so vibrant and bright. All the natural juices are retained. We traditionally use it more for steaks, chops, uh, fish. Anything of those nature, especially stews, things like that, because it holds in all of the natural juices, but it maintains a tenderness. Cooking it over such a long period of time in water that's circulated allows for it to cook evenly. So if you do a braised short ribs, which you would normally do for 72 hours, you may want to cook it for 70 hours in the water bath and then just quickly sear it so you get that char on the outside, but that very juicy tenderness on the inside.
1: Mm, that sounds very, very good. All right, James. The other thing that I want to ask you about is dietary issues. How are you guys addressing those at the union club?
5: So I think over the years, we've all seen a great deal of trends and fads regarding the newest diets or diet supplements. While they seem to come and go over time, I think recently the trend of healthy eating has become one that's a permanent shift towards self-consciousness. So we've all had to address it. And while we've seen a spike in these things, such as gluten-free or vegans, pescatarians, paleo or clean eating, or even portion control, they all contribute to the larger trend of health awareness. So what we've done is to now offer completely vegan or or vegetarian menus. We've also incorporated at least some several dishes on our banquet menus that are wholesome with vegan or vegetarian or whatever dietary constrictions a member or guest may have. So we've tried to make sure that at all times we have something available for those individuals. We've also seen a shift that offers a lot more tasting menus. So it's much smaller portion sizes overall, and a lot of menus, a lot of courses over time, so that people are not being force fed, you know, these large 20, 30, 40 ounce steaks, with a potato and, and a vegetable in a short amount of time. So they can feel a little bit healthier as they progress. And if they don't want a course, they can easily you know, refuse that course or things like that. We've also been to offer different portion sizes on the menu. So we've gone from having just one size of filet mignon or a ribeye to now having one or two different sizes. So a member may want a six ounce portion rather than the 12 ounce portion. They have the ability to do that as well. So lastly, I think that we've we've also kind of, focused on training our chefs and our line level staff to identify all these dietary concerns and make sure that they're educated on it because we know that if they're not educated, it'll be very difficult for them to facilitate that for our members. So we make sure that the training on our end allows them to to properly facilitate any requests that a member may have and accommodate them as best as possible.
1: Wow. That's pretty, pretty incredible. I I want to switch gears here. we have been talking about food. Let's go over to the beverage side. Tell me about some trends that are happening with the, Tasty, tasty, tasty alcoholic beverages at the club.
5: <laughs> yes. Always the focal point of most clubs, I think, is the, the beverage department, obviously. Um, members are you know accustomed to having their favorite drinks and cocktails, whether coming off the golf course or the squash courts or just coming in with a friend. So obviously, we're not insulated to trends in beverage either. Some of the things I think we've seen lately as we're a little bit behind some of the hotels, and restaurants, but still catching up, is that everybody's looking for something special and unique. Just like we're looking for a dining experience, we're looking for that same kind of experience and beverage. So a lot of focus has been shifted to craft, whether it be craft beer, craft alcohols, um, making your own syrups and bitters. I've also seen a lot of clubs now go to private labeling, whether they've created their own beer and uh, matched with a brewery in the mm-hmm. local community to create a, let's say, Union Club Beard or a Union Club Wine with their own private label. Nice. Everybody wants something specific to the club and craft that they can't get somewhere else.
1: And you've been doing some theme dinners as well over there at the Union Club.
5: We have. So we've started a couple of societies in the Union Club. Uh, we have our Beer Society and our Wine Society and they basically have organized different types of dinners. We brought in uh, Brooklyn Brewery recently with our members that are enjoying of beer, and they've done a whole dinner uh, from appetizer through dessert paired with different kinds of beers. We've also done a lot of different wine dinners from truffles and wine uh, just to our pig and pinot series, which matches a uh, pork dish at every course with different types of pinot noirs and pinot grigios. We've tried to To switch it up from vendor to vendor to make sure that, you know, we're running the gamut from American wines to French wines to Oregon wines, things like that. And the same thing with beers from local to something that may be a little further away, but still unique in its own right.
1: James, it's almost four o'clock as we're recording this interview, and you just made me incredibly hungry. I haven't had any lunch today, and I've been on this juice diet, and so I hate you right now. (laughs)
5: I'm I'm sorry, but you're you're more than welcome to come over. We'll give you something liquid. I can't say it will be good for you.
1: I'm going to go a little rapid fire with you here, and I don't even have these questions prepared, but I'm just a curious person. So let's see how this works. If there was one meal that you could have, James, at the club, what would it be?
5: I think that our chef makes a wonderful venison chop with a little bit of foie gras on the top. I think that would probably have to be my favorite at this point.
1: Okay, nice. Outside of your club, if there was one restaurant you could visit, what would it be?
5: La Bernadette. I was just recently there. Uh, I think Eric Repair is a very... Uh, humble, but cutting edge chef. The guy is truly an icon in the industry. The things he's doing there are something that we can all take note of, regardless what type of food and beverage industry you're in. So I think that's definitely my go-to at this point.
1: Nice. Where do you find inspiration? You've been so inspirational with your Oyster program and some other things you're doing at the club. Where's your inspiration coming
2: from?
5: It comes from everywhere, to be honest with you. I think most of it comes from speaking with other club managers and, and speaking with other people in the food and beverage industry, as well as the hospitality industry in general. I think that we all kind of pick each other's brains. And from that, other ideas arise. So I think especially, you know, CMA gives us a great opportunity to speak with each other and get together at conferences and BMIs and things like that, where I learn about all these other clubs doing things. And it inspires me to want to do something more for my membership and, and for my own growth.
1: Nice. Last one, what's your favorite type of cuisine, James?
5: My favorite type of cuisine would probably be Italian food, which I don't really Ah, eat too much of here at the club. (laughs) Um, But it's definitely one of my favorite. I grew up with that. My father is Italian. My grandmother, like you said, uh, she makes a great meatball. So I think that's definitely my favorite.
1: Very cool. You're a man after my own heart then. James, thank you so much. If folks want to reach out to you, learn a little bit about what you're doing as well as the Union Club, how do they do that?
5: You can reach out to me via email at jryzak at com, or you can reach me by phone at 212-606-3525. And I'd be happy to answer any questions or help anybody I can at any time. So please don't hesitate to reach out.
1: James, I learned a lot from you. I know the rest of our listeners did as well. Thanks so much for sharing your wisdom here on Private Club Radio.
5: Thanks, Gabe. I really appreciate it.
1: Well, that's going to do it for this edition of Private Club Radio. I've got to wrap things up short because I've got to sign some books. If you still don't have your copy, head on over to MembershipMarketingBook.com and get yours today. In fact, get a few. Your club could use it. There's a few people that could use it at your club. Hope you enjoy the week. Until next week, here's to your membership
0: success. Private Club Radio is brought to you by the Private Club Agency, the premier marketing and consulting firm dedicated to helping clubs increase and retain their membership. Visit privateclubagency.com to learn more.